This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the 26th episode of Real Blend, a podcast that has as much screen time in Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom as Jeff Goldblum does. My name is Sean O'Connell, and I'm the managing director here at Cinema Blend. And let's start off introductions this week with the man who had Goldblum's legendary fingers running through his hair. Jake Hamilton of Fox 32 in Chicago. Sir, how are you? I'm doing well. More like like tapping the top of my hair. If you've ever met me, you know that it is impossible to run your fingers through my hair. That is not how I have this fantasy playing out, Jake. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I have just one fingers. of many, Sean. Just one yes. of many. Well, not to be outdone, Kevin McCarthy of Fox 5 in Washington, D.C. also interviewed Jeff Goldblum, but didn't get a finger run through his spectacular do. Kevin, how are you? <laughs> This is true. I did. I, I did not get a finger uh, through my hair, but <laughs> I do want to give you credit for your uh, your gold bloom pun at the beginning. Uh, those are my favorite moments of the week, and I know that those are very hardcore in regards to writing. So uh, thank you very much for that. What an awkward cameo that is. We will talk about Fallen Kingdom later on in the show. Uh, Essentially what we... Kevin just said was the peak of the show is within the first 30 seconds. And then, <laughs> downhill then you all can punch out if you want to. Uh, so much show to get to today. We are very thrilled that you are all joining us for our weekly conversation regarding all things cinematic. If you happen to be watching us on Cinema Blend's Facebook page, hello. Uh, drop us comments in the section and drop us questions and uh, questions and comments and Gabe behind the glass will forward them over to us if there's things you want answered during the show. Uh, speaking of shout outs, I wanted to start, I mentioned that I was going to start reading iTunes reviews here on the show. And when I mentioned that I was going to do that, we got another one. So hey, I'm going to go ahead and do that. Our latest review comes to us from someone named Joshua Ziggy Popkin, who writes, open quote, this is my favorite podcast ever. It is so engaging, and they are always discussing the latest movie news and gossip. I didn't know that we did gossip. Do we do gossip? I, I guess I mean, sometimes. Guess movie gossip, I guess? Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. Celebrity here's and there's. Stop uh, knocking the reviews, Sean. I love, I'm just questioning it. I love listening to them argue about their favorite movies and filmmakers, which we do a lot. They have wonderful chemistry and are very personable. Highly recommended. P.S. It's fun listening to how many times Kevin says, no question. Now, I, didn't, I, I never, I, I didn't, didn't pick up on that. that. Kevin said no question. Yeah. I think it's uh, one of my verbal crutches. I have, I have many of them. And that's no question. question. No question. That's probably one of them. Yeah, no question. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Someone pointed out to me once that I say absolutely a lot uh, in interviews. And from that moment on, I don't know if you watch How I Met Your Mother, but it was like that episode of How I Met Your Mother where like the glass shatters and they realize just how much you really say. For me, it was really how much I say the word absolutely. Right. And it would be a really unfortunate drinking game if you took a shot every time I say absolutely. (laughs) I just really do say it a lot. And now you guys have both done live TV. I'm sure that if you went back and watched your earliest appearances, you probably have like verbal crutches that you've leaned on and that you totally relied on heavily early on. Yeah, oh, I have some really bad ones. I I say like seriously or essentially, um, persnickety. I, I have a lot of different ones that I say on on the air. I don't know why. Persnickety. 
Prosecchi is a great word. I I probably overuse it though. It's like the it's the means like nitpicking or like or like. I know but that's just that's not detail. like a word that one <laughs> casually uses. Apparently, I just I, I use it a lot. That <laughs> essentially, and and then uh, I think basically, I think I use a lot as well. I, I like I like the e, the words that went end in y sound. Right. I think. Wow. Well, as you guys are picking up on the podcast, too, we do this on a regular basis also. So thank you, Joshua, for the review this week. And if anybody else wants to drop one, uh, you can go over to our iTunes page. Please subscribe to our show. Please leave us star ratings. Please leave us reviews. We are also on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, anywhere the podcasts are served. Uh, and like I said, if you if you guys leave us a review, I'm going to try to start reading them at the top of the show. So ah, let's get to news. So today's show, just to run through quick, we're going to go over news. We're going to do some Incredibles uh, box office talk and get into a spoiler conversation about Incredibles. We're going to react to Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom, but we won't give full-on reviews because we want people to be able to go see it. Although Jake and I were talking about this beforehand. Kevin, do you know how much money that movie has made worldwide so far? Jurassic? Yes. I think I, I saw a number. It's like over $400 million, right? Or something it's like close that? close to it. It's like 347 like Oh, wow. That's crazy. I, I couldn't believe yeah. how much money that thing has earned before even opening here in the States. I think so. it opened Does it make a, a billion six. dollars? Hundred uh, percent. I think so. Yeah, I yeah. think so. If you guys remember when we did that, what movie not named Infinity War is going to win the box office? I think I won Kevin over to the Jurassic side because the first one did so well. Yeah, well, I mean, this... we all know how my pick turned out. <laughs> Jake picked Solo. <laughs> I was drinking yeah. water. Can't him. You, you didn't have to reiterate, that. Sean. <laughs> yeah, that was a bad one. I don't think Jurassic World will have the the I don't know I, what was Jurassic World's final number the first one was it, it was like a billion six was it that Probably. high was it I think was so it, okay I don't know I don't know if it'll go that high um, but I think it'll definitely get a billion I mean what's what what's the projected opening weekend for the U S one forty one forty yeah one forty yeah. I've seen all right so well, I mean which I, is I, funny like one forty is a big number and I don't but, feel like there's a ton of buzz for it going into tomorrow going into this weekend then again the last one opened to 200 million and then i never would have thought that would have happened so i I think jurassic is one of those movies that like families will just get up and go see right i think that's one of those um short of uh jurassic park 3 i think that's one which didn't do horribly i think that's one of those movies that um one of those series that's going to be around for a while. I do think the first Jurassic World had that Force Awakens vibe to it, though, where... Oh, oh, totally. Yeah, like where I think there was a lot going into it in the sense of it's been a while since we've seen this story or this character or whatever. So I think, I think even though Jurassic World was different characters, um, I think that there was... It's all in the same universe. I think there was this excitement about it. So what, the globally, the opening for Jurassic World, I think it all opened similar timing versus now... We're going. We opened globally. I think the sixth of June, and then we go to the U.S. this weekend. So it's weird. I, I don't know why it was staggered like that because then it takes away from the that opening number, that big number that we that we'll have opening weekend. So I don't know. I don't. It, it's interesting why they. I always wonder why things get staggered like that. Uh, I, I've seen it happen with superhero films. Uh, why and Deadpool two hasn't even opened in China yet, from what I understand. Wow, that's uh, crazy. So really, it's been and a that while. movies that. That movie's made six hundred ninety million dollars worldwide so far, and it hasn't even opened in China yet. So I don't even know what that if it will if it didn't. Rob Liefeld say it will open in China, didn't he say? Yes. Yeah, he uh, said it will. He said that that it was. You know, for, yeah. for I think we didn't for all intents and purposes, he said that they were essentially adjusted yeah. to make sure that it could open in China. Yeah, well, yeah, I'm interested to see what happens. So. Um, we got to point out the fact that today is a very special anniversary for a movie that we all adore. Uh, Forty three uh, no. years. To the date, 
uh, Steven Spielberg released Jaws in theaters. 43 is a weird anniversary. It's not like a big round number, but it's, uh, it's, it's always worth talk about Jaws. pointing out the fact that, uh, yeah, absolutely. It's, it invented the summer blockbusters. Um, I think when we were talking about Psycho for a Hitchcock blend, I think Jaws capitalized a lot on that in terms of driving people out to <clears throat> the theaters and sort of protecting the secrets about what's going to happen in the movie. And, and Jake, you put that cool thing on Twitter asking people to talk about their first experiences with it. And a number of people commented about how yeah. it scared them out of the water, literally. Yeah, yeah, for sure. That's that's probably whenever I talk about movie experiences that I wish I had had, I think that's probably number one on my list. Because you hear people's stories about seeing it when it came out in 75 and how it really not just impacted, and we've talked about this before on the podcast, not just you know affected people personally in terms of being afraid to go into the water. People lost their businesses, Beach fr- beachside businesses went out of business because no one went to the beach that year. Which is, right. I mean, like, I mean, that's that's the power of movies, man. I'm not saying that's a good power of movies, but that's 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 power. I can't yeah, think I of anything like, comparable to that, like a modern yeah, thing that affected nothing. culture that way. Nothing. Sorry, Kevin. Yeah, I don't know. Like, in reg- but in regards to the idea of seeing a film and, and being a part of a mo- uh, a moment or a movement in cinematic history, I always feel like Jaws would be one of them, as Jake said. But the other one, I think. Would have been psycho only because would have been cool. just the uh, the idea of no, people not coming in the theater twenty minutes into the film. I love that they kept stopped people from doing so. And I think uh, I wish more filmmakers like Hitchcock would enforce something like that. I, I know I know that there's some um, theater chains. From what I understand, I think Alamo might be one of them. I could be wrong. That doesn't allow certain. Uh, it doesn't allow people to walk in after a certain time. And I don't know if that's the, the case. I've, I've reading somewhere or heard that somewhere, but I I, I kind of uh, hope that I that would be day, okay with that. That me too. I hope that day returns. That that once the film starts, you are no longer able to go in because the the twenty minute in person who walks in and has to come down your row in yeah. the opening of a movie. Uh, I imagine watching Saving Private Ryan, and then like someone's like. Has, you have to get up out of your chair to let somebody go by you in the middle of that scene. I mean, yeah. I think that's ridiculous. So um, I'm all for people going to the movie theaters, but I'm all, I'm all for that, you know, that right. logic of that, you know? But you know one thing that I'm guilty of? If we go to a screening, if you, you got, I don't know if you guys do this. When I go to a screening, if I'm super early or if I'm out of a movie screening and I know that, like, there's an hour left in Infinity War, I'll go in and watch the last hour. Or if I get to something early, I'll go in and watch like the first half hour of Deadpool. Yeah, but you'll, but you'll you go. You'll, do that you, at all? You, you, you won't climb over somebody. You'll go. You'll go. You'll walk in right and go on to their the laps. front. I sit right, right, right on right, people's right. laps. And well, I I that was snack. you. <laughs> no, I, no, I sit right in the front. I go to the first seat that's like open right as I come around the corner, right. and uh, which, and I sit down. And I know everybody looks at me point. like, "Why is that person coming in?" There's like an hour left, but I just want to see the end of Infinity War again. I just like. I've I've done that before for sure. Uh, and you, you mentioned Jaws, by the way. I was interviewing uh, Benicio del Toro the other day for Sicario, uh, De Soldado, and Sweet we were talking about name drop. Sweet name. Well, drop. And I, I'm not name dropping. I'm just remembering something that he said <laughs> to me about the Jaws theme because we were talking about Johan Johansson's um, theme for Sicario, hmm. and because Johan Johansson is no longer with us, unfortunately, brilliant composer, uh, young guy, died very early. Um, but that score he had for Sicario, that, that like the, like the very like deep resonating, uh, I don't even know what to call it. But anyways, so uh, we were talking about that, and and he compared that to Jaws in regards to the 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 way the anxiety it makes you feel. He said it made it it made it feel like he was hungry. Right. Uh, that was was a sound. I thought that was an interesting uh, topic, and the idea of having that like that type of score 
mo- moving you emotionally and kind of like making you feel that anxiety. So I thought that was an interesting comparison. I actually agree with them. So tonight, if you're if you're happen watching a live show, put Jaws on tonight. Just put it on the background. You know, do something for its for its anniversary. I'd say celebrate it. If you're listening to this after the fact, you missed it. I'm sorry. Um, I want to move on to a. Hey, don't worry. Point. Next year is 44. <laughs> yes, we'll see you back here on June 20th. Uh, right before we started this podcast, news broke that I thought would be really interesting to everybody who's listening, and of course, interesting to Jake. The Star Wars uh, anthology film. No, uh, they're not the anthology films. They're the. Are they the anthology films? What are they the calling the, the solo ones? The sto- stories? The story, things yeah, like Star Rogue Nation, uh, things like uh, Rogue One, things like Solo, things like the planned Obi-Wan and Boba Fett movie that had been announced are now, um, according to Collider, uh, being put on pause because of the uh, disappointing uh, performance of Solo. And so I'm curious, Jake, do you think, and Kevin, of course, uh, do you think that's a good idea? Is it time for them to sort of circle the wagons, regroup, figure out the next big steps? According to this report, what they would focus on next would be the Ryan Johnson trilogy or the trilogy from the Game of Thrones guys. I I think that's odd considering the fan base seems to be pretty upset with Ryan Johnson at the moment. So if you tell me you're going to double down on a trilogy from him. That seems like an odd message to send, but what are your thoughts about uh, this this decision? If this is in fact what they're doing, I for me it's less about what the movie, you know, the, the standalones or the trilogies or, or whose trilogy it was, and more about like maybe we just don't get. And trust me, I love getting Star Wars movies. When a Star Wars movie is out, I, it is like my Christmas. But maybe we just don't get one every year, rather mm. than completely wipe away the stories. Because I loved the idea of getting a Boba Fett story. I'm bummed that that we're not going to get that next, uh, uh, maybe that, that Boba Fett movie or the Lando movie that crosses over with Solo. I was excited about that. Maybe we just let the anticipation, but maybe we do it every other year. And, and we walk out of a theater going, oh, you know, 24 months into the next one. And I think also on a side note, the thing that also bothers me about this is there's a group of internet trolls out there that really thinks that this is this is their accomplishment. Right, that, right. That, you know, they were, they were so anti-Solo and they've been, these are the people that... that you know, try to kick Kelly, uh, Kelly Marie Tran off the internet. And, and even though they had n- genuinely nothing to do with this, they're going to bed at night thinking that they have a victory, thinking that they caused this. And, well, and, and deep down, that kind of bothers me. You don't think they had any impact? No, because I don't think there's enough people to, to have really made the difference. I, th- I think over the general public wasn't interested in seeing Solo. I don't think because... 18 losers in their parents' basement didn't go see Solo, that, that all of Lucasfilm is changing the direction that right. they're taking their entire company. Right. Yeah, it's. I mean, to me, it's the, definitely the right move. I mean, we are experiencing extreme Star Wars fatigue, unfortunately. And uh, five, six months after Last Jedi, to release another Star Wars movie was just not a great move, obviously. Uh, also, that film had a ton of bad press leading into it. Um, I think they should have stuck with the original filmmakers. I think that there should have been... Um, when you hire a director to make a movie, you know what that filmmaker is going to be bringing to the table in regards to content and tone. So uh, why let them go if they're not following along with clearly what the vision was from Lawrence uh, and his son, the screenwriters for the right. film? Um, right. But I would imagine that they had problems with the same things that I had problems with in that script. Uh, I, I can't. I'll never know that for sure, but it's just my assumption. Uh, but I think that the the six month mark after Last Jedi, especially with that film having such polarizing um, c- 
criticisms, I think, going into that movie, people were just Star Wars. They were just they were just tired of Star Wars at the moment, like, which I completely understand. Um, so I think every year and a half, two years, probably is the smarter way to go. Like Jake was saying, I, I don't I don't think that a Star Wars film every year is it's getting to a point where that's becoming more of like a like a joke. Like, yeah. Oh, here's another one. I mean, like, like why? I don't, I, I don't really understand what the who decided to move it to May. I always, I heard Ron Howard had something to do with the release date. Um, I don't know if that's true or not in regards to bringing it to the summer. Uh, but that was one of the most crowded summers I've ever seen before in my life in regards to Avengers: Infinity War and just Deadpool. crowded Mays. Like, not, yeah. not even just the summer because I feel like the summer has slowed down. That. That May was insane. Yeah. Well, but even if theory... Solo came out today or this week before Jurassic World, I still don't think it would have done that well. I think people were just people were just really kind of people go to the movie theaters to see Star Wars, but making it a yearly thing, it's like it's 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 almost it's way too much. It's well, entirely too much. So Star Wars absolutely had some hubris. Like they definitely felt and and why not, right? I would too. Like they felt we're Star Wars and if we put something out people are going to come. There is. I don't think there's anything wrong at all with them very quickly getting the lesson from this gut check of, oh, people aren't going to turn out to just anything that we turn out. So let's literally put all of our attention into episode nine, make that a really memorable film, and make sure that the films that come after it are properly constructed and, and that the screenwriter matches the director and that the tone is what we want to do. Like there's nothing wrong with that because otherwise plowing ahead makes you, you know, the DC universe where they just is, keep going ahead with titles that they don't care about. Speaking of DC universe, is this the moment where Lucasfilm realizes that they're not Marvel and that they're not going to be Marvel? Yeah. Because yes. I feel like yeah. they're, they were moving in the direction of really wanting to be Marvel where they could put out three films a year and each right. one would do better than the last and i think this is one of those things where it's just like maybe you're not and i mean there's a reason that dc has tried to be marvel and failed and it's just because that takes a little, a little bit of oomph that that uh maybe just just does it and also variety that that i'm not sure that that star wars films can have i don't know like if we can get a, a really weird wacky star wars movie i mean do we live in no pun intended do we live in that universe where we can get you know, the Doctor Strange of Star Wars movies or the Thor Ragnarok of Star Wars movies? I mean, do those movies even exist? I don't know. Maybe. In time. I mean, we're talking about the 17th, 16th, and 17th version. Yeah, exactly. The they, they earned that. Yeah. And remember how, not, I don't want to say generic, the early Marvel films were, but a little a little cookie cutter in, the, in that sense. Sure. Absolutely. And so maybe these are just growing pains for that universe and it'll get to where it's going eventually. <clears throat> talking about franchises that are building... Uh, Rocky Seven put out a trailer today. Hey, and, uh, I'm curious what you guys are. What's your anticipation level for Creed Two on a scale of one to ten? Uh, personally, I thought Creed the first Creed was was phenomenal. I mean, it was it was just an incredibly executed film uh, from a filmmaking standpoint, from a performance standpoint. I thought Stallone should have won the Academy Award that year. Uh, it was amazing, and I think Coogler just God the way he directed that movie just the the cinematography, the tracking shots, everything. Um, I, Are you concerned he's not back? 100%. Then? I'm yeah. 100% he's not, uh, concerned he's not back. Uh, I don't feel a necessary uh, want for another continuation of that story. I, I, I love the way Creed... But Drago, dude. Drago. Yeah. I mean, it's gonna be, but I will say, I mean, the, the, the a well-cut trailer can immediately uh, turn your, turn your uh, mind uh, the other way around and you know, you throw Kendrick Lamar onto a um, a trailer like with DNA and edit it the way you do with the punching bag. It's like, yeah, that's it got cool. me, it got me excited. So, um, I was, 
really, really into the trailer. So it kind of uh, it kind of turned me around on it. I had no interest, uh, and I love the first one, but with Ryan gone, Ryan Coogler gone, and uh, a different filmmaker stepping in, which I have no problem giving another chance to. I just uh, was a little concerned about why they were making another film, but I, I, it, it's cool. The DNA Kendrick track really kind of got me uh, got me going. It was very is well this done. the uh, the Sicario day of the Soldado of Creed movies where it's just like, <laughs> yeah, it'll be nice. Yeah, it's gonna be cool to see it, but the original guy is not coming back, so I care significantly less about That's it. That's an interesting comparison. Well, Soldado has no Deacons, no Denis. No, Johan Johansson. That's not his fault. I mean, obviously, Johan Johansson. Uh, his music still uh, still is sure. now put into this film. But he, I think, his understudy or somebody who worked with Johan Johansson actually completed the score, which is kind of cool. Um, but yeah, it's an, it, it is an interesting thing that like the 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 that the masters that made the first ones aren't really continuing with the second ones. I, found I think funny this that trailer the... made me realize. Oh, go ahead. No, I thought it was funny that the Drago reveal was a surprise, but I mean, we've been writing that story for six months. But not everybody know. reads, you know, not everybody reads the um, yeah. movie news. You know what sure. I mean? Yeah. So, I had some people in my newsroom today go like, oh, did you know Drago's going to be in, in uh, the new Rocky movie? I actually movie? And forgot I like, Drago's going to be the Rocky movie. Until really? tra- yeah, I actually did. I mean, genuinely, <laughs> when that came up, I was like, oh, that's awesome. Who's playing Drago? Uh, He's like some fighter, right? Coming young boxer. Yeah. Okay. They recruited some guy who looks like a monster. I mean, he just looks like uh, you'd never want to be in the same room as the dude. But he also <laughs> looks like he'd be Drago's son. Right. Oh yeah, totally. Yeah. Dude, who um, has made better decisions career-wise than Michael B. Jordan? Is that guy doing anything wrong? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> he did, Fantastic Four was pretty bad, but it I mean, was I, bad. Yeah, I'll never back as a him. Yeah, that movie with God, man. I don't know. All four of those actors are great actors. I don't know how. What I mean, I understand. <laughs> I, I know what happened. Well, I know we've heard stories of what happened with Kinberg sure. and uh, Trank, but I mean, whoa, man! Like that was, how did that even get released? That was such a disaster! <laughs> a it really Jake, was. I keep cutting going, you going off, back you? to to Creed too. Uh, yeah. Is it just me, or does Sylvester Stallone love writing super personal conversations on a street under a street light? <laughs> I feel like he really he likes having these really powerful conversations under right. just a just barely lit grimy dark street i feel like right. that's that's his thing that works pretty well for him yeah it yeah. does he's making a career the, out of it were they saying that 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 spot where they were standing in the trailer was the exact spot where creed died yeah, not creed that's what i don't understand i think he meant he died in my hands yeah like he said like, right like in this, in in this situation spot. that we're in right now oh, yeah like, huh. it, I mean, it was implied like it was that spot but it right. wasn't I, I think that fight was in Vegas. That. I don't remember yeah, Rocky Four right. all that much, but I think the fight was in Vegas. That's right. Yeah. I was going to say something about Vegas, and I was going to give away something really big, but I can't. I'm sorry. I'm pulling that back. Uh, we're going to jump off Creed. Creed is coming out in November. Uh, the other picture that I saw that I definitely want to talk about was Linda Hamilton. Uh, first yeah. appearance on the set of Terminator 6. And from this instance, I want to turn it over to Kevin because yeah. Sarah Connor yeah. holds a very special place in his heart. As, yeah, she does. So we're going through this whole thing with uh, franchises that we love and characters come back uh, because they have connections to the old films, but it's not always a justified reason to bring them back. I think getting Linda Hamilton to come back for a Terminator movie is um, exactly what I needed to hear to get me excited for whatever story. I, and the fact that Tim Miller is directing it, you know, and he did Deadpool has me really excited for it also. But she looks totally badass. Yeah. Oh, dude. I mean, uh, that that news made me very excited. Uh, first of all, just seeing her back as the character was unbelievable. Um, 
I do gotta say, I rewatched T2 recently. I think one of the most bad A moments in regards to, like, just sheer awesomeness is the moment in Terminator 2 where she unlocks herself from the locks and steps out of the room and grabs that nightstick or that or that broomstick or whatever from the thing and then just breaks that dude's nose the guy that just <laughs> licked licked her face uh yeah. about like 10 minutes prior i mean that scene and just the way she runs down the hallway flipping that thing if she was so awesome um and just the sheer terror of her face on that elevator moment when arnold steps out uh just uh, i mean she was incredible in that role so i think uh yeah, I, I'm very excited to see your return. Tim Miller, uh, I'm a, I am love Tim Miller. I think he's a master at visual effects. He was great with the first Deadpool. I'm just hoping that the film still kind of utilizes CG and practical effects. I mean, Stan Winston, who did the effects for uh, Terminator 2 Judgment Day, uh, it, it was so much of it was practical. I mean, it was the beginning. CGI was kind of at the forefront of that point, and the things that were CGI needed to be CGI, but also Arnold, man, Arnold's... Like this, the the skeleton of the of the actual machine. I mean, that stuff was real, man. Like the, right. as he got more and more, got I, I I still find it hard to watch Arnold just get destroyed at the mm-hmm. end of T two. Just like that whole fight sequence with you know, the thumbs up, but the 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 whole fight scene with him and Robert Patrick as his arm and gets to crushed in that machine, and then he's halfway falling over and he pulls the thing out of his his uh, stomach, and it's just like. I want. I hope they bring back that because it, it, it centered it, it grounded it, it gave it a reality. Um, I just hope it's not all CG. Do you know what's most amazing about T2? What blows my mind the most about that is that it's it might be the only sequel I can think of that reverses everything that worked about the original and yet still worked. It makes the, the ruthless Terminator into the caretaker. It takes the meek woman who's being pursued for the whole time and turns her into the badass hunter. Like it just flips its own script and tells a different story. Whereas in, in so many other sequels, it's just like, we're going to have the people come back and do the exact same thing, but bigger and faster and louder and in a different location. And I, I think it's great that Cameron had that. So I'm intrigued too, because Cameron is involved. Like he claims he has a story for this and it's like the closest we're going to get to non avatar Cameron, I guess to, uh, to see this this movie come come together, I, I, Honestly, I just Cameron's involvement does nothing for me. Yeah, every really? time a Terminator oh. movie comes out, yeah. he claims it's the best one since T two, <laughs> and then everyone yeah. hates it, and then he jumps on the hate wagon. It's like, but you said that it was the best one since T2. Like, he, right. honestly, like, he's a little bit of a boy that cried wolf, whatever, except he, it's the boy that cried, this Terminator is good. Yeah, I, I, I kept, <laughs> and again, I know we're not reviewing uh, Sicario yet, but did you see the, the thing that came out with Denise uh, uh, raving about Sicario? Um, no. Like, it, it just felt, it felt similar to the way that Cameron talked about Terminator, even though, because, you know, he didn't direct, the, direct these other films, and neither did Denise, so... I'm just curious, um, uh, and I, and we'll we'll review Sicario, but I thought that, that was interesting that that Denis came out publicly and and gave a review of the movie. Just reminded me of our, our uh, James Cameron coming out and talking about Terminator. That's all. Did I remember we were on the uh, because of Blade Runner. Was it Blade Runner that kept him from doing? Pro- not, I don't know, but Soldado was shot in like 2016, I think. Okay. I mean, I, if, I don't quote me on that, but I think it started filming in like August of like 2016 or something like that, and then I think. That's probably around the time the Blade Runner would have started filming. Because Brolin's a little heavier in this film than he is now, obviously. I mean, not that he's heavy, but he just he's heavier than he is in 
Deadpool 2 and, uh, I mean, Avengers Infinity War. I, don't, I think, no, he shot Infinity War right after Sicario wrapped. So he's he told a story the other day on a talk show where Sicario 2 wrapped, him and Del Toro were getting ready to leave, and Del Toro said, yeah, I'm headed to uh, Atlanta to shoot a movie. And mm-hmm. Brolin was like, me too. He goes, what are you shooting? He goes, oh, I'm shooting a movie, uh, Infinity War. He goes, oh, me too. And then I guess they were on set together. <laughs> yeah. And then and I guess it was that, you know, they had that one scene, which I think is a Snatch reference. But by the way, neither of those oh. actors knew it was a Snatch reference. And I'm like, am I am I uh, wrong about that? Or did I, did I, I think miss- that means it's not a Snatch reference. Yeah, I do. Honestly, I never really super thought it was. I felt like you were seeing something there that wasn't there. Then let me ask you a question. So if Benicio Del Toro says, where is the stone in... Right. Snatch as Frankie Fourfingers, and Brolin is holding Del Toro, saying, "Where is the stone? How is that not a Snatch reference?" I think it's, it's, it's the same coincidence. line. I, I don't think that's a coincidence. Dude. There's no dude, way. If, if the actors are telling you that they didn't know it, then then how is then, dude, then I think I've, it's a coincidence. I've had plenty of actors tell me they had no. I I had actors on Ready Player One tell me that they didn't know that this scene in Ready Player One was a Terminator Two reference when they were filming. well. Okay, but that's. That's a big more. Deal. Ig- that's more ignorance than anything else. That, that's that's know. just her not getting it. I I, and yeah, also that's, that's not that's not a movie. Not a yeah, that, and so, that's not a movie that that actor was in. Del Toro, Del Toro told me that he thought it was a Rolling Stone reference, but that's not a Rolling Stone reference. Where's the stone? So oh, I think that there was never any communication. I, I think the writers wrote that in there because it's funny that he's holding up. The guy who says "Where's the stone?" from from freaking Snatch, and he's saying, "I, the, 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 yeah, I but would, like you, I, to me, I like a reference it. is something like a super well. I mean, is that like a well known line that you can yeah. walk out into the street? Is it? Is Frankie it? Frankie Fourfingers, man, take yourself out of it. Take yourself out of no. it. I don't and, know. And, and, and and the average moviegoer, and I'd say no, that's not a well known. That's but not the average moviegoer didn't also know what this was when they saw it in, uh, in uh, Ready Player One. That's most people didn't get that. That's a much more prevalent." pop culture image is than, it though is yeah. it is, is the thumbs up a yeah. pop culture the image? Thumbs, i don't think yeah the so. thumbs up from t2 i mean compared to this line from snatch it's more people probably know the reference of the thumbs up than have seen snatch oh i'm sure but i don't think this is a pop culture reference like, i think that i think I, so i don't think it's well, big enough to be that but we asked Del Toro something back. and i'm gonna reveal what he said and i want to get your opinions on it i want to let people know this is a spoiler this is an Infinity War spoiler, potentially. So if you're listening on the Facebook page, come, go away for five minutes. <laughs> if you're listening... But then come the, back. Then come back, yes. We asked Del Toro... Okay, we're going to do it now. Um, whether the Collector's actually dead or not. Oh. Or whether the Collector being dead was just part of Thanos messing with the Reality Stone. He wasn't even there. And, and he thought... that. That's what I'm saying. Like he, he, Del Toro thought it out, and he said, I think he's still alive. And we were like, why do you think that? And he was really quiet. And he goes, I don't know. I just think he's still alive. And then he, he kind of couched in it. in that scene. He was in that scene. The collector's no, I in think, that scene. I, no, he's in the scene, but I don't think he was ever there. I think it was all a magical illusion to yeah. lure them in. That's all that was. But they show his lair destroyed. So I guess you could assume right. he just dies when his lair gets destroyed. But Delta Or he left so. before it was destroyed. Yeah, maybe. Maybe he wasn't there. Yeah. I don't think he was actually there in the time frame of that moment. I think that that was all an illusion, whatever stone that was, 
that Reality let them see, right let them see that the collector that's why yeah. he waves goodbye like, he was never i don't think he was ever fi- i don't think he was actually in the moment i think it was that all wave goodbye is crazy and isn't his character the brother of goldblum's grandmaster from yes I don't, I don't think they i don't think feige says that without the plan of us getting a scene with those two together yeah i know can I we see that together is there anyone day. at cinema blend or anywhere that has yes. contact information with the writers of Avengers Infinity War that can somehow... They just somehow... did a, a, a podcast with um, with Mark Bernardin and Kevin Smith. They just did Batman on Batman. Uh, I'm, I'm I would love to, to get them on this. Yeah. They're cool McFeely. guys. They're geniuses. If, some, if someone yeah. knows, I'd like to know if I'm just if I'm just imagining that that's a, a Smash, Smash reference. reference? <laughs> I mean... I, 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 no, honestly, I, dude, I would love for you to be right and love for you to have like told Benicio Del Toro something that he didn't know. Um... Uh, but I, I just think that that's just a really interesting coincidence. I in my defense, if, if I though, ever get them, I will ask them this. I in my defense, when I said it to Del Toro, I said uh, I, I, I worded it as was that I said, did you know it was a snatch reference or it wasn't even a snatch reference? So I still asked him as if if I you know we're not hundred percent sure if it was or not. But I'm almost ninety nine. I told the Russos that I loved the <laughs> snatch reference and they laughed. So and I think it has to be. There's do you, no do you think they laughed and then got back together and went, "What snatch?" <laughs> I mean, it's possible. I just, I just, I can't imagine. It's too much of a coincidence. It's the exact same line. It's literally. I the, need to the... see this line. I need to see it. Okay. I, I mean, don't know I, the line. I don't know s- it. Snatch. Oh. And that's my point. Is I don't that know it. If it's if it's not Where's that big of a stone? line, Dude, then. I used to... But at the same time, if somebody gave me the thumbs up, I might go with five other references before I got the T two. Yeah, but, I would get okay, the T two for the thumbs but in up. Ready, the in, thumbs up. in Ready Player One, you knew exactly what that. Reference oh yeah, was. yeah, yeah, totally. Okay, totally. in the context yeah. of that, yeah. the aliens reference in um, Infinity War. Yeah, not that's that. I don't think that's big enough a moment for people to re- reference that exact thing that Tom Holland did when when. He uh, when they blew out that guy out of the spacecraft. Yeah, but yeah, he but, but he, he says he, it. He says he aliens. Explains it. I, I know yeah. what I'm what I'm saying is is that moment big enough to reference like that? That's all I'm saying. No, I, yeah, we're, not we're, in and of itself. I don't think so. I don't think that moment is big in enough. Not in and of itself. itself. I think you have to reference it to to. I think to I think to I let agree. people know that you're actually doing it. You See, have to reference I, it. In, in my eyes, if he hadn't directly said aliens and they had done that, I would have thought, oh, cool, that's like a tip of the cap to aliens oh i never would have i never would have made that connection i've seen aliens five six times in my lifetime but that scene does not have enough resonance in my in my filmography mindset uh to to though honestly if we're being honest and we're talking about like like a alien being blown out i think i think of alien before i think of aliens yeah right yeah and i think that i don't know i I think i think it's interesting i i think the snatch reference isn't as deep a cut in regards to other references that are found in that movie. I think can there's a guys, lot. Dude, okay, wait a second. One, one more thing. Can you guys guess how many minutes ago Gabe told us to move on? <laughs> oh, Gabe's here? One more question. <laughs> one more question. The uh, Arrested Development moment. I bet you more people got the Sash reference than they got the Arrested Development joke. That's oh, way I don't even too know inside. about Oh, the, 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 the way dude. too inside dude. base. The no. Blue Man Group what? guy? No. The Blue Man Group guy no. in the, in the yeah. tank? No. It's oh, it's I don't David. Think, uh, I don't think anyone. There, there, there have that. been articles written about the Arrested Development moment. You're the only person I know talking about the snatch line. Somebody reach out to those writers. Are they on Twitter? Okay, we'll find them. All right, okay. let's move on to uh, Incredibles two. So actually, let's go two. back to that topic Open for a second. Last week, <laughs> Hold on. let me put let me and put on snatch. Hold on, a you go find it, 
And we'll talk about the fact that Incredibles 2 dominated at the box office. I mean, anyone who even had a, um, a extremely positive prediction of how this was going to do could not have guessed that this movie would make $180 million over its opening weekend. I uh, would say it did, it did Star Wars numbers, but no, it didn't do Star Wars numbers. Dude, do you it think... Did, okay, how sad Wars. is Ron Howard... <laughs> To see that movie perform, is he? And there, is, is he there sad? anything sadder than a, than the image of a sad Ron Howard? Like, <laughs> no! as America, have we failed as a country that we yes. let down Ron Howard? Yes. Opie is sad, and he's sad because of us, and it's our fault. <laughs> we, we disappointed him. Yes, I agree. Um, and so let me before we get into spoilers, before we discuss uh, the movie in depth, because I I kind of you guys both said you. Oh, Jake, you saw it after the fact. Um, I definitely get your opinion on it. Why? What? What's the main reason that you guys think that this movie did as well as it did? No idea. I mean, I first of all, the fact that that movie made 180 million dollars baffles me. And I, the movie's okay. great, but it made 110 million dollars more than the first one did in open in the wow. opening weekend domestically, which is insane. I think the first one did 70 million, or whatever it was. But again, ticket prices were lower. No 3D, probably whatever. But Man, I, I, I honestly could not tell you why it did that well because I did not feel that type of buzz going into the weekend. So, okay, I, mean, I, have, a, I have a question for you because when someone tells me that like people our age want to go see Toy Story, right. like I understand that nostalgic factor because I was a part of that nostalgia factor. Like I remember uh, seeing uh, Toy Story when I was seven. And so when Toy Story 3 came out, I felt like as a kid that grew up in the way that Andy did, I needed to be there. I didn't feel the nostalgia for The Incredibles because I didn't necessarily feel like I grew up with it. Like, I remember where I went and saw it in theaters. I remember where I was when I saw it. But is there a generation, maybe a few years younger than us, that feels for The Incredibles the way that maybe we felt for Toy Story? And could that be a factor that we're discounting the nostalgia of The Incredibles? I'll say this. I posted my... My my fiancé is screaming yes on the other side of the condo. I I posted my Incredibles ticket for the first movie on my... Uh, Instagram and I am I'm not gonna lie there were a lot of people who commented I can't wait to see this I'm like really I'm like, I, I knew the movie was gonna be big and I knew it was gonna be a Pixar film I, I thought it maybe it would maybe make a hundred million dollars opening weekend maybe maybe 90 I have no idea but 180 I've, I honestly you I could never have guessed that I, I, well, I'm I'll, shocked how I'll tell you one thing well there's two I think there's two reasons um to speak to quickly to the nostalgia that you're talking about, Jake, as a parent of two boys who were 14 and 10, the Pixar library is your is the babysitter that you've had, right? Like for, right. for us growing up, the films that we watched over and over again or television shows that we watched, anytime we took a car trip, just the Pixar movies came with us. Our boys had DVD players. They brought all the Pixar movies with them, which is why I think Finding Dory did as well as it did because they just grew up on Nemo and they just but wanted to they didn't, they didn't really care what it was. It this did, but Dory even like Dory got to a billion dollars. Toy Story three and Dory are the two Pixar movies across a billion. So I just think mm. the nostalgia of, of being a Pixar movie, um, but also there's just there's no family movies out there right now. The last animated movie in theaters was Sherlock Gnomes, which nobody went to. And for May, you had Infinity War, which is pretty dark, Deadpool two, and then Solo, which didn't ignite any fires. Families have been chomping at the bit. To be able to go see something together, you know, as a group of four and five people. That's and I point. just think that helped to crush. But also the other thing that we've been talking about is like, it's the flip side of a Star Wars movie every six months. This is 14 years people were waiting to see more of these characters. And it wasn't 
the characters don't age. You know, as long as you have the voices, you can just continue the story from wherever you want to go. When you talk about, like, these characters don't age, remember when Dumb and Dumber 2 came out, uh, T-O-O, it, it was a little bit of a, like, one, it, we'd, it way past the point of when it should have come out by now. But sure. there's also an element of, like, seeing those two guys just kind of old, and you're like, oh, like, yeah. huh? oh, like, that's, it's a bummer to see them. That's right. Like, these, like, I don't want to see those characters old. Like, right. I want to remember them as they were. And, and you're right. I think it was smart not to age the characters. Yes. Uh, it's kind of like Lisa Simpson uh, in The Simpsons, right? Uh, like, how she never ages. That, did you already make that reference? Or any of the Simpsons. No. They don't yeah. age any of the Simpsons. Either, yeah. yeah, but like, but I mean, wasn't there like an episode where they yeah they where they where they get older? Yeah, shows all of them. of them. Okay, and it's kind of depressing because like Bart's kind of like a loser later in life, and yeah. I, so right, let's Sam see. Jackson said this takes place two days later after the first event, uh, Incredibles. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. yeah. All right, so let's get into spoilers. Yeah. Then let's start talking about the movie in depth, and uh, then I have a question that I want to ask you guys. So, Gabe, please put the spoiler banner up. On the Facebook feed, we are going to get into spoilers for Infinity, uh, Infinity War, Incredibles two, uh, and talk about. Okay, so let's let's start there. Um, the decision to pick up immediately after uh, where the first one left off, I think, was a brilliant, brilliant um, place to begin your sequel because I wanted to see the Underminer. I wanted to see um, another adversary of this Incredibles team. Uh, we got a hint at Bon Voyage, which I thought was a pretty funny joke from the first movie. Um, but then, you know, Syndrome was a new villain. So I loved the fact that, that they brought Ratzenberger back to voice um, the Underminer. And I thought it was a really good way to sort of kick off with a great action set piece. Yep. The monorail bit with Frozone was really good. And the drill going through the city and the, the family working together was terrific. I thought that was a really, really good way for them to start and the movie never really in the same way that you could that. watch rogue one and, and a new hope together you could kind of just watch incredibles and incredibles 2 together you can kind of just watch back to back totally um what did you guys think about the shift to put elastigirl front and center and the uh keeping uh mr incredible at home did you like that role reversal i love that i thought that was very clever i thought that it could just signify the importance of parents and 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 the different duties that different parents do. And I think that it was fascinating to watch. Um, I mean, a lot of the best moments in the film are, are, are with Mr. Incredible and Jack, Jack. And then the, mm-hmm. I, I still can't believe that Edna is voiced by Brad Bird. I, like that, that blows my <laughs> mind. I don't understand. I, I, has anybody ever seen him do it in person? Is there, is there video of Brad Bird doing that voice? Cause I just don't know where that comes from. Uh, oh, also, I, saw, I saw him do it. Actually, I saw him, him do it. it. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's he did crazy. a press conference at Pixar, and he he drops into other voices frequently. Like it's amazing. Pixar executives weird voices, and he'll be like, and then they said to me, you got to go back and make more money. There's money on the table. Like He goes into these really weird voices all the time. The, so. the, the kid who voices Jack-Jack, I think he's 14 now. I think he was a baby when, uh, from what I understand, it was a production person's baby that was Yes. Born around that One time or whatever, right? One of the lead animators, right? yes. And uh, I, th- I would assume they just reused, because he's still credited, that guy, Eli something, is still credited as Jack-Jack in Incredibles 2. That's Clearly awesome. his, his voice is probably much deeper now. Um, I hope so. I, I would hope so, but, <laughs> um, but it is fascinating uh, to think about the idea that they kind of maybe reuse the baby voice, and because um, Jack-Jack is a huge part of this movie, and, and maybe they just have a, a archive of sounds of the baby just making these like goofy sounds and excited sounds and crying sounds and things like that. But um, yeah, I, I thought it, I was so fascinated by the, the role reversal. I thought 
Um, I think one of the things that I, think I love about Brad Bird is that he directs this film very much like he would direct a live-action movie, and I think the action uh, photography and everything about the way the action was set felt real, and it, oddly enough, in the middle of an animated movie, it just felt it felt like it was really happening, even though it was ridiculous and over the top with Elastigirl splitting herself in that in that uh, in that tunnel sequence. But I, I was very fascinated by how how this film was shot, quote unquote. Uh, it was mm. very well done. So and and, and Burr was even saying he messed with the shutter speed of the camera, which is kind of crazy to think about. So I, I was very impressed with it. One of the best looking shots um, is the one that that caused some controversy afterwards with people having to get the epilepsy warning. The fight against oh, the great. villain with Miss uh, with Elastigirl yeah. looked amazing. That looked so cool. It had like a noir sort of tint to it. It was the first time I saw that like the animation style almost shift to fit that scene in particular. Yeah. I thought that looked really. So oh, Brad Bird also said like this is the first time we went back and revisited the first one. The animation looks really clunky. It is. It's twenty. It's two thousand three or two thousand four. I forget when it came out. Uh, two thousand four. And um, he said they finally look like he envisioned them in his brain. Like the characters finally look like he was able to to make them look the way that they looked. And I thought all, that really came together with Elastigirl's cycle and that chase with the monorail and all that. That, that stuff was great. Brad Bird is amazing at setting up action set pieces. I thought so Odenkirk creative. killed it. Like Odenkirk was so perfect um, yeah. as that character. And I, I just, I love the way he moved, the way he talked, his energy. I, I just thought that was a very cool addition to the Incredibles universe. Like I, I loved the whole dynamic with him and Catherine Keener. I thought they were great. It was a great, it was great. And it's weird because I think Odenkirk is the only one to me that sounds like he looks. Everyone else looks different. <laughs> yeah. Like Craig yeah. T. Nelson, I, I I can't get my mind around it. It looks nothing like Craig T. Nelson. I, I can't imagine Craig T. Nelson voicing that character. It, it's right. very strange to me. And same with Holly Hunter and same with um, Keener. I, those three just kind of, they look so much different than their characters. They feel so much different. But Odenkirk was just, it was him, man. It was, I don't know, just remind, it just looked like him. So that, I thought that was fascinating. Like Craig T. Nelson, that still blows my mind that that's him. It really does. You know, I think that the best compliment I can give sort of the Incredibles films is, and not a knock to the action, because obviously the action is incredible, but it's maybe the only superhero movies that when they're in an action sequence, I want them to get back to the normal life because... Yeah. I think that those scenes are so you know we we also just rewatched uh, the first Incredibles. I mean, and people forget like it goes to I don't want to say like serious dark places, but there's a moment where she thinks he's having an affair, and there's a moment where like oh, he's yeah. entering kind of what you'd argue is like borderline depression because he's not he can't be a superhero, and that's very reflective of like what happens to a lot you know kids that peak in high school and then and then have to go live a normal life, people that have to work these everyday jobs and they don't get to be the wild and crazy person they I mean. Though that very much would happen in the same way that I'm actually a really big fan of Zack Snyder's Watchmen, this idea of, well, what, you know, who watches the Watchmen? You know, what happens when the superheroes start being bad people? I love this idea of like, what, like, when they take off their capes, no capes, if they, when they take off their, their costumes, right. they've got to be normal people and they still have to wash dishes and they still have to do laundry and they still have to have kids. And I think that that's fascinating and, and I think it's great that I love those scenes just as much, if not more so, than the action sequences. Well, that's why the best scenes in that film, to your point, are the Mr. Incredible moments with his with the kids. Like, I yeah. thought the whole math thing was hilarious. I thought, and I don't even have kids, and I, I, I got that joke, because everything, I mean, you have kids, Sean. You, like, I feel like things are always changing. Like, like I already math learned is math. math. How is math this different? Math is math. <laughs> right. So I, I just think that those moments, like Jake said, they're, they're, that's why the movie's so great, is because... To me, 
they're both on equal playing fields. The action is as good as every other scene. Every scene is great. Um, and the action serves a purpose and tells the story and moves the story forward. Uh, and everything means something. And it's not just action for action's sake. Um, so I think that... I don't know if it was the biggest laugh in our screening. And I might have been the only one that laughed when it happened. But when Mr. Incredible puts Jack-Jack back in his crib after he gets out a couple of times and puts the table on top of it... Yeah. I laughed so loud because okay, I have so, felt that. See, I, I didn't get Sean, that joke. So yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Okay, what as as a parent, Sean is the only one that's a parent in this conversation. Right? Uh, are do you are you pulling things from this movie that that one day if Kevin and I end up, uh, you know, maybe having kids one day that we're gonna look back on it and go, oh, I didn't even realize how funny that was. Oh, until co- now that totally a hundred percent. Yeah, I mean it's just that idea of reading a story to the kid and and feeling the kid fall asleep with each line passing is like one step closer to a little bit of freedom. (laughs) And you're just like, once I get this kid to go to sleep, I can get like a little bit of me time. And then you turn around and then like they're awake for whatever reason. Like it just never happens. I've said this before. This is, this was how movies change completely. And it was a, it was a, a Pixar one. I saw the first finding Nemo and I thought it was technically great. Um, but it didn't wow me the way the Toy Story movies did. Um, and we, I saw it first in the theater, and um, we were just a couple. Uh, we were married, Michelle and I. And then when it came out on DVD months later, we had found out in that interim we were going to have a kid. Uh, we were going to have PJ. And I watched it a second time knowing I was going to have a kid, and it was a totally different movie. It was just it, yeah, it, it just totally changed. It completely changed. So, I mean, yeah, the same movie. <laughs> different audience member. I, I just, th- I think that the, we're burying the lead here because the best moment in Incredibles 2 is the snatch reference. Um, when they, <laughs> when they say, where is the stone? And I was just like, wow. Like that was like, that was like, like the beauty of that reference with Brad Bird's reference is that it was a, right. it was like an inception layer deep cut. It was like, it was referencing infinity war, but it was also right. referencing snatch. So if, if infinity war, was I quit, referencing- I quit this podcast. I really do. I'm done. Um, my, but I, is it all a lie? I, if, if, I miss if, Kevin talking about Dunkirk. Can we go back to Dunkirk? Do you know what but, made me so sad? We were at Pixar, and um, <laughs> our friend Juan, who's been a guest on this show, said, uh, well, you know that, that um, Catherine Keener's character is, is the villain. And I was like, no, what are you talking about? And he's like, yeah, her name is Evelyn Dever, which if you say it slowly is evil endeavor. And Whoa. I was like, oh, yeah. I didn't I, even I, catch I, on to that. I know. It made me so mad when he said it. I was like, you jerk. You just ruined a whole movie for us. That was a good twist, Four months actually. away from it happening. I yeah. thought Odenkirk was going to be the villain. Actually, that, that threw me. Actually, that was very good writing, I thought. Um, mm-hmm. I knew one of them was going to be the villain, but I, I, I was more leaning towards Odenkirk. Um, but I guess now looking back on it, I got to look back on how isolated Keener's character was throughout the film. Um, kind of doing her own I kind of like it wasn't both of them too I kind of like that it was yeah. one and the other one was actually trying to do something with the heroes too yeah and Sam yeah, it's Jack- like that that great Roger Ebert line he wrote one time and I can't remember what he was referencing but it's a pretty good rule which is that like big A-list actors don't sign on for characters that don't matter yeah and true. anytime you ever see like you know an, an Oscar winner and like this you know I always think of like uh, Redford in Civil War or not Civil War uh, Winter Soldier uh, you know, like he's not going to take just that, like the second that I saw him in that movie, I was like, well, he's going to end up being the bad guy because even though it's like this small tertiary character, secondary tertiary character, 
I was like, he's not going to sign on for a role that doesn't have a little meat at the end. So I, that's, that was my first thought was like, well, neither of these people, but to your point, yeah, I'm surprised that there was one and not the other. So in winter soldier, um, uh, the, another great, like, uh, kind of like very small reference, uh, when he opens the refrigerator and the Newman's own salad dressing is in the, uh, is in the refrigerator. Right. So that's a very small reference, but it works. I mean, I didn't catch it the two, second or third time I saw it until someone pointed it out to me. They were like, was to that Bush and Sundance? Too? To Bush and, and Sundance, Sundance as well. Bush and Sundance um, reunion. That's pretty cool. References happen. Like, they're, 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 then they're little and they're minuscule, and that particular one with Redford was so great. I remember um, I was interviewing Redford for that Pete's Dragon film, and I was like, I, I tweeted out, like, I'm interviewing Redford, and someone tweeted me, saying, oh my god, you gotta bring up the Newman Zone, and I was like, what the hell are you, heck are you talking about? So then I went back and watched it, and I found it, and it, that's what it was. I mean, the, the, the Russos put Newman's own salad dressing in the refrigerator when he opened it, and that was, that, it's just a brief shot, and that, it was, that, that was a reference to Paul Newman. That was it. Um, here's my big question to you guys. Uh, do they do Incredibles 3, and should they wait to create anticipation they should wait 28 years this time and then and then and then, it, and then it takes place the second incredibles 2 ended the second you better record craig, craig or, or the now. entire or, or that two minute gap what happened in that two minute gap between one and two that's that's what i want to yeah, say yeah. the two yeah the two day gap between one and two, as Jake said, we go back and we fill that in. That, that, that's <laughs> Give the perfect. people what they want. And then we're going to do spinoff, spin-off scenes. We're going to do a spinoff of the boyfriend who liked the daughter of Mr. Incredible. We're going to get his story. So we're going to go All back right, so and we're going we're gonna to find out why he's so called I, I guess no real answers yeah. from you guys today. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we'll move on. Uh, Jurassic Park, Jurassic World, Fallen Kingdom uh, is opening this week. And we will review it in depth next week because there's a lot of stuff that I want to talk about. Um, but for now let's go spoiler free reactions um and we can start with jake um because i don't even think i know oh and also yeah i mentioned that we were going to try to do a ranking of the second best jurassic movie um and gabe convinced me to do that next week when we can actually talk in depth about fallen kingdom and where it might fit in a rank so Real quick um, review of Fallen Kingdom. Just would you recommend it, and maybe why, and stuff like that. Uh, I I would say that it's it's Fallen Kingdom is is two movies that are stitched together, uh, mm. and one of them I think is really fun and really enjoyable, and the other one I think is complete and total crap. Uh, mm. I I really dug the first half of this movie, the the volcano rescue sequence. Once it gets into the mustache twirling villains who are auctioning off dinosaurs for a ridiculously low price like four million dollars for a dinosaur seems kind of low uh it just it just gets really silly well, for me they, and like and the really... not that interesting dinosaurs went for yeah. four million yeah like, this but guy like, has an armored four shell. million four million for a dinosaur <laughs> yeah. uh like if i can take out a loan and buy a dinosaur i feel like that's a little low um i, I just I, I just got really stupid once i mean and what's sad is that like the part that i think is stupid is probably the direction that the franchise is going, and that's what worries me. Is that I what I what I think is stupid is probably the future. Um, so right, that and, scale back in on terms details, of, save yeah, that for next yeah. week. For but in terms of like, should people see it? That's a tough question because like in terms of like the literal usage of the word "see," I do think it's worth seeing because I think it is the most beautiful Jurassic Park movie. Okay, beautifully shot. You're saying yes, yes. Yeah, I, I just want to. Kevin, before you go, I just want to say that Jake and I are on the complete opposite end. Like the first 
half of with the volcano I'd found to be really bad. Like interesting. I was, I'd, really and I'm not saying that I liked the second half much better, but I thought that that whole plot either, um, without again getting into too much detail, they either needed to make that story of the rescue, the volcano rescue, the entire movie, um, and give it some room to breathe, um, or come up with a different way to get back to the island. See, the problem with these movies is that they always need a reason to go to the island. Um, and I just didn't like the reason for this. I didn't like this movie's reason for going. Back. Oh, I the like you for blue because of a volcano. Didn't it never hooked me. Oh, I thought that was cool. I actually thought that was a really good reason to go to the, island. I, I, I like this film. I, I, I don't love this film. Um, it is a massive step up from Jurassic world. I mean, it, it's not even close in my opinion in regards to quality uh Jurassic World was just I mean it was fine but it was compl- it was just too much CGI uh and there is CGI in this film obviously there has to be um Dude, but I would argue that there's th- that the problems that people have with Jurassic World are what I have with this movie that it's oh. just CGI it's it's like non-stop oh, no. this film oh. was way more practical than than Jurassic World I mean there's there are literal scenes that happen with practical dinosaurs that are massive moments in the movie uh there's one in the trailer with the t-rex uh when they're in the back of that truck that's fully yes fully pra- uh, yes. practical um i mean i'm sure it becomes cgi when when it opens its mouth and it starts to bite pratt but um oh i i i think the beauty of this movie is that you it's hard to tell sometimes in my opinion what's cgi and what's not um, there's oh, a great, I disagree, dude. There, there, I can't talk about specifics, but I totally disagree. There's I, a moment. There was a point where it was like just overkill. I was waving the white flag. I like, think towards the end, in the second, in the in the third act of the film, without giving anything away, there's more CGI. Clearly, um, like there's a shot, for example. All right, uh, I don't know if anybody's watched my interviews yet. Is if you have, then you probably then you already can answer this question. But um, the uh, the scene when the the fingers are crawling towards the bed, right, with the little girl in the bed, right. Mm-hmm. You know the shot I'm talking about, like when yeah, uh, it's, it's it's in, in the, the trailer. trailer. All right, mm-hmm. is that CGI or, or practical? Um, I would assume practical. Jake, yeah, I'd say probably practical. It, it would be smart to make it practical. CGI. So I mean, mm-hmm. like that 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 to me is a, a great example of a moment that because your brain has been um, given a lot of animatronics in that film and given moments of real life human touching these these quote-unquote animals that i think your brain what was computing things as animatronics and, and real and real feeling and i think that there are cgi there is a lot of cgi in the film clearly um but i'm telling you right now i think that this film is a return to what spielberg brought to the table in 93 and i don't i'm not saying it's anywhere near as a masterpiece as what spielberg created in 93 but there's something to be said about a actor with a animatronic dinosaur and the emotion you feel in that moment. And this movie delivers that while the second half of the film, I think is weaker than the first half. I still don't hate the second half like Jake does. Um, but I think it's, I think it works. I think I actually very much enjoyed this movie, but I think you're, you're, you're talking more technicality and technicality is, I think what, I mean, it technically is what keeps Jurassic park still relevant 25 years, but what keeps it great is an amazing story. And that's what I think fallen kingdom lacks. I mean, you know, like, I, I think maybe because they use more animatronics, that Fallen Kingdom will still hold up a little bit better than the other Jurassic World in 10, 15 years. But 
that's not going to change the fact that in 10, 15 years, I'm still going to have problems with the story. It's not that I, I don't think Fallen Kingdom is a great movie. I think it's a pretty good film that I think is worth seeing in a theater. And I think that it, to me, in a time of CGI, it returns to that practical nature. And, and see, like, I understand what you're saying, but I think that technicality aside, technically aside, when you're in a moment with an actor in a practical dinosaur, you are more immersed in that scene. And there are three, two or three key scenes, in my opinion, that the okay. actors are, pl- are are dealing with actual emotion with an with with a practical dinosaur, a couple different ones uh, that feels unbelievably real. And I and think then, that we can talk about one of them's in the trailer. We can talk about the, the one in the, the trailer, T-Rex. which is the T Rex, right? When uh, when the T Rex is sleeping, that's, and, I, but, I that's mean, the and, best. I think that's one of the best scenes in the movie. But the scene before that, without giving you because away, it's tense. What, the reason why they go to the T-Rex, so the scene prior to that, if you can remember yeah. it, uh, right, yeah. practical effects as well. There's something to be said about that. And then don't forget the gyrosphere one shot in the open, in the, in the first act. Um, with uh, It's in the trailer. You see Chris Pratt swimming and you see Bryce Dallas Howard and, and Justice in that gyrosphere. I mean, Bayona, like, there is some filmmaking in this movie that blew my mind. And I think that there is immersion in this film that is going to be looked over because the story may not be as great as Jurassic Park. Um, but this is hands down the best film since the first Jurassic Park. I mean, there's, I mean, and, and I like, I, I, I like, I like, I like, right. see, okay, let me go Spielberg, fast. Spielberg, Spielberg, we'll, we got to keep Lost World. You know that, right? <laughs> he hates it. From what um, I, from we got to wrap it up. He, he uh, also, I mean, that's, I love Bayona. I have a Monsters Call poster hanging up on the wall. I love The Impossible. I love um, The Orphanage. I love his films. And I think this is his first bad film. I think it's bad. And I don't, I'm actually to the point where I don't think I can recommend people go see it because the more I thought about it, the more I was disappointed by it. Jake, what's your rating? Out of five. Uh, Out of of five, two and a half. That's where I'm at too. Are you recommending it or not? I'm saying that it's visually beautiful. So if you want to see it for like the dinosaurs, yeah. Um, I mean, people know what they want to see it for. If you want to just go see frenetic dinosaur action, then that's exactly what you're going to get, and you know what you're paying for. But if you're going looking for a return of to to Jurassic form, that's not what you're going to get. I wish there was footage of Jake and I watching this film because I think him and I are are more on the same playing field than we think we are i just like the film more than he did um, no but dude, keep in mind like I, I will fully admit that in that first half i lo- i looked over to you and was like dude this movie's yeah. awesome yeah but then the second half started right and this and i hate the second half more than i like the first half but i don't see i don't hate the second half so i, so I kind of really actively hate the second half. <laughs> okay okay I, we'll talk about why next right. week we'll get into some, spe- some specifics for sure because we're I you really guys agree that it too. is like two movies kind of stitched together? Oh, yeah, it's, completely. It's part one and then part two. Yes. I like that, though. I, I like the, the, the different tones. It's a horror film. I, it's like a horror I've heard mansion. that also. Yeah. Um, okay. Uh, we will review Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom with spoilers next week. So everybody go see it this weekend. Or don't, if you want to listen to me. Um, and we will come back and talk about where we think the franchise is going because it has a pretty major cliffhanger. Yeah, and there's because for people that are going to go see it this weekend, stay through the credits. There's an after credit scene. Last question before we move scene. on. Do Marvel-esque. both of you think it's better than than, Tra- than Trevorrow's film? Yes. No. no. Okay. I nope. I do. I do I think, think Trevorrow's film, uh, I'll say this and then leave it at that just to tick off Sean for a week. I think Trevorrow's film is the worst Jurassic movie. 
No, that is not true. I would that actually agree with you. I actually <laughs> agree with you 100 percent no. on that. Jurassic it wasn't, and actually, I just rewatched. Jurassic I just rewatched. Okay, all so of now them. I'm now I'm gonna now I'll now I'll just no don't wave me off. Okay. <laughs> Open the floodgates. <laughs> Jurassic World is actually my choice for the number two best movie in the franchise. Well, you're Jurassic insane, Park, man. Jurassic World. That is Jurassic absolute Park, insanity. It's great. It actually has a legit reason to go back to the island. And Dave's getting mad. The right. set pieces are great. They're really good. Okay, we got to move. We got to move. We got to do Zemeckis. One oh, question. Zemeckis. Also, I want to save this for next week because I want to like I want to go deep dive next week. Can I, I ask yes. one question? Just one question, Sean. Sure. Yes. Yes. Answer this. Yes. Better movie. Yeah. Jurassic World or Forrest Gump? Jurassic World. A uh, dude. Jurassic wow. World. And that's that not even close. Is, that's absolute insanity. On that note, um, we will talk about Zemeckis Blend, this week's hashtag blend game, uh, because we're doing... We picked Zemeckis Blend um, kind of out of the blue. I just thought he was a filmmaker that we should be talking about. He makes a lot of summer blockbuster-esque films, and then uh, one of his trailers drops today on the day that we're doing this. Uh, Welcome to Marwan, which is going to be a fictionalized or dramatic version of a documentary with Steve Carell playing this character who um, gets uh, beaten by Nazis, uh, an artist who gets knocked over the head and loses his ability to communicate via uh, written word and uses um, dolls <laughs> to tell stories. And so this trailer dropped. I watched it. It's really weird. Did you guys think it was intriguing? Did it hook your interest? What It looked really unusual. I, I, I don't think Steve Carell is one of the most underappreciated exciting actors out there i mean right. like we're talking about a guy that i mean i feel like it took a while for us to really kind of start getting maybe like a serious robin williams remember like for the longest time like i mean every once in a while he would pop into a serious role but but you know overall he did just comedy for so many years and i feel mm-hmm. like steve carell's just got this really awesome career of doing the office and then doing the the animated work and then doing something like a fox catcher and then something turning around and doing something like date night and dinner for schmucks and now he's doing yeah. this film. he's had a great career I, He's got Tremendous. a great career making fantastic choices and showing a lot more range than I think he gets credit for. Yeah, I agree. 100%. I just wish Foxcatcher was a better movie. Ugh. No, I, like oh, Rainbow, it's, I like Foxcatcher a lot. No. It's really dark. Um, okay, yeah. so Zemeckis. We, did, uh, we debated the best Zemeckis film, and uh, in a total lack of suspense, all three of us picked the same movie. So, Kevin, please tell us why Back to the Future is the best movie that Robert Zemeckis has ever directed. So I actually was debating between Back to the Future Part One and Forrest Gump, and I think um, I went I went Back to I the thank Future. You. Thank you. Well, Forrest Gump was actually very close, uh, only, right. only Because of the technical achievements he made in that film and the storytelling and the scope of that story. Um, but Back to the Future, to me, just I I, I I'm gonna put rewatchability at the top of my list here of just why this film is my is the which best should movie be a factor. I, I agree. Yeah. That should be a factor. I just think that this film, to make a film that's timeless, is very hard, and I, and I don't think that you see you start out saying, "Okay, I want to make a movie that's going to be be good in thirty years." Um, but the art that went into that film, storytelling wise, filmmaking wise, uh, the effects that they used in that movie with what they had at that time, uh, the whole idea of necessity is the mother of invention, that whole concept. Um, there was time put into that movie there was so much work put into that film uh so much so that it still baffles my mind that it it was made when it was made 
And I think that the 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 story, the characters, I love part two so much. I love I, I love part three. I think that's a, one of the best trilogies ever made. Um, and I think the through line being Zemeckis clearly, but Zemeckis is was it way ahead of his time with everything he's ever made. I mean, Back to the Future, Forrest Gump with uh, JFK shaking uh, Tom Hanks's hand. Um, I mean, Polar Express, that was like the forefront, in my opinion, of, of, of performance yeah. capture and motion capture technology. This guy doesn't get enough credit for the technology he's created and, and brought to the big screen. It's Cameron-esque in terms Agreed. of 3D. Cameron, and, yeah. Yeah, Cameron kind of gets that gets that credit, right? But I think I always kind of look at Zemeckis and Polar Express and and the and the utilization of what he was doing with special effects back then. But Back to the Future, just everything about it moves. Sylvester's score, everything is perfect. Mm. I mean, it's a perfect movie. It genuine, it genuinely is, and there's nothing wrong with it. And it will still be good in 30 years. And I I, I watch it today, and it still looks amazing. So. That is, and we, we need to do Cameron blend one day because I feel like we, we all would. I don't know if we'll, we'll agree on that one, but I thought about um, that. I but but that. The, I think that Back to the Future, no question, it's timeless, rewatchable, it's perfect. The score is great, performances are great. Michael J. Fox is perfect, Christopher Lloyd's perfect, everyone's great. It's a great movie, Jake. Uh, and it's also, you know, when you think about the actual story itself, it's both an incredibly simple, like really sweet story, but then also this incredibly complicated story too it's 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 weird because because i wanted to sort of kind of come at the angle of like well what kind of story is it and i find situations where it's both complicated and simple at the same time and uh you're you're absolutely right i feel like the reason i appreciate zemeckis's form of of utilizing special effects is because oftentimes i don't realize they are special effects and which which to me that's what the best special effects are when you look back and you go oh by the way did you know that that was effects and you go wait what? As opposed yeah. to, you watch a Cameron movie, and you nine times out of ten, you're gonna know that that's a special effect. And I'm not knocking his usage of special effects because obviously it's groundbreaking. But Zemeckis uses it to as a tool to kind of push the story forward because it is a, as a it is a necessity. Uh, it's and it's also there's just a, a for me personally a comfort. This this Back to the Future just feel is the cinematic equivalent yeah. of a warm blanket being pulled yeah. over you on a cold day, and it just. It just feels good, and it's it's one of those movies, a handful of movies. I'd put it in the same vein of Jurassic Park, where like if I just want to throw on a movie and just kind of feel good about the world, which these yep. days we need a little bit more often than we used to, that's one of those movies that I'll put on. Yep, it's, also, a, great, it's, a, the, it's a great point though about the blanket thing. It's like it does feel like that. It feels yeah. you 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 know you know it's gonna make you feel good. That's the well, thing. It's like it's really it's great. It's a screenplay too that gets um, studied by all the masters, you know. Rightfully so. Yeah, they always go back to that screen. I think we talked to Zach Penn when he was talking about Ready Player yes, One and talked about right. how much they just went back over the Back to the Future screenplay because it's so airtight. Like I love any type of ticking clock uh, mechanism, you know, and the the idea of hitting the clock tower at the exact same same moment to funnel the lightning into the DeLorean is delightful. But what's so delightful about it? is that it's teased in the opening scene, you know, like giving him the pamphlet. It, yeah. Like that's how elaborate the screenplay is, is that there's no wasted moment and it's all funneling to, uh, it's like big picture, big picture. And it's little, little, little funnel it down, funnel it down, funnel it down to the moment that you need it to happen. And I don't care how many times I watch back to the future when he's racing toward the thing, I'm on the edge of my seat like he's not going to get there this time. Oh, yeah. And to take it one step Crazy. further, like, you know when you when that feeling when you get so tense, so tense, so tense, 
and then it works out, but then like you're so exhausted that you almost just like get kind of get teary eyed and kind of just kind of need to breathe. Yeah. That sequence, the moment following when he when when the DeLorean disappears and and Doc just kind of just runs down the street celebrating, screaming yep. like yeah. I get teary, I get I'm both out of breath and teary eyed in that same moment because it's just like. <sighs> Which is why in part two, it's hysterical that they revisit that part and then have yeah. another Marty come running down the street. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I love I, how they intertwine. I wish three got more credit. I really do. I, I, Three's I, great. I, I love three so much. And I think three I, feels like the other one, though. Like two feels mm. like a companion piece to one. And then there's the other one. Yeah, but I love but, but see, no, see, I see if you're going the, the other one route to me would apply to Indy four. Like the, I, I don't yes. think three is that much of a departure. It's still, I mean, it, to me, it's still, it's still. I don't know. I, I get. No, that but we're talking two different franchises. Like every franchise can have the other the one, other but it one. feels like. I mean, it, it, we. I feel like we live in an age where like films need a trilogy. But like looking at something like it, like sometimes you only need two to tell the story. Sure. Sometimes you don't need that third film, and it feels like I always feel like the Back to the Future story. It's kind of done at two, but they felt the need to for a trilogy, so they came up with the idea for the third one. But I loved uh, experiencing Doc's storyline, like the, the 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 his romance. I mean, I think I think two. three arguably has one of the greatest action scenes in the entire franchise with that train sequence. I love the train, train sequence so much, and I, I, I and just throwing the hoverboard. Uh, and then him and him going out to get Mary Steenburgen. I, I just love that moment. And I, I, to me, the intensity you're talking about, feeling that like anxiety. Uh, every time I watch that scene, uh, are they gonna make it? I mean, that that scene blows my mind. Like like, yep. and then boom, and it just disappears after after at the, at the end of the train track. It's so well done. And I think that well, I, think, me, I think that movie doesn't get enough credit, in my opinion. Okay, I have a question for you. We all agree on Back to the Future. Yes. What is your number two Zemeckis? That's movie? what I was gonna ask, Jake. Dang it! I love it. All right, Kevin was gonna say, "Did you say Forrest Gump?" Is that? But 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 who framed Roger Rabbit? Uh, technically, like, is another masterpiece. I mean, God, like the you said, the, Forrest Gump. You said Forrest, Forrest Gump. Gump. Forrest Gump. <laughs> Still count. Yeah, it is Forrest Gump. Uh, I already, mine I know was Jake's. cast away. Cast away. Mine was cast away. Oh, I also said, oh, I said Forrest Gump. Oh wow! Uh, but but I also have a soft spot in my heart for for uh, two the Gumps old, and the a Castaway. Forrest, Forrest Gump is masterful storytelling. The scope of that story is insane. All right, so we got to go. Uh, next yeah. week's homework is uh, no. I can't. Really I is. cannot get on board with this. I'm just a staunch uh, believer in, in the fact that it's a crap film. It's a really bad film. Well, I'll, I'll never I get just, on board. I would have gone romancing the stone before I went anywhere I just don't near. Our, our, we, we mentioned Juan earlier. Our good friend Juan also pointed out Contact, which is a very strong, also great. I actually really forgot support. that was Zemeckis. Yeah. Yeah, Until he really said Flight that. Flight is also a great. Flight's also a great piece of work. Flight Let's also has... acknowledge that like Zemeckis, it was the type of filmmaker who I think we mentioned it when we did Tom Hanks. But, like he paused his production of Castaway, yeah. went and shot What Lies Beneath, what Lies and then beneath. came back and finished Castaway. Like that's yeah. amazing. He's I think an the movie filmmaker. The movie of his is the most underrated. Is The Walk uh, and The Walk. I that movie, uh, just the sheer epicness of that of that moment of him walking across those towers but okay in but that's IMAX like the 3D. last 40 45 minutes well, like and the, the documentary first so hour and better. a half of that movie oh i agree I, I just have a hard time getting mm. through 
But I, I, I will say, cinematically, I've never experienced anything like that in IMAX, in 3D I will say, it did give me like that. It, oh. Yeah, if you saw it on in 70mm IMAX, as I did, it, as I, I'm sure you guys did too. Unreal. You did get that, like, that stomach churning of, like, whenever you look over and you see, like, a really height. And that's impressive. But I just felt like it, the stuff it took to get there was just not, not Oh, I loved enough. it. I love that story. That story, I, to me, I think ranks as the best story I've ever heard in my entire yeah. life. The story of that guy wire walking between the twin towers, yeah. and what I love most about it is because the towers aren't here with us anymore. He can he'll be the only person on this planet to say that he did it, and nobody yeah. can do it. I nobody interviewed it that guy. I met Philippe T. Like, I, did I, you I, really? And this was this was crazy to me because when I was a kid, I went to um, New York City with, with my grandparents and my family, and we were went to the towers, and the line was too long to get to the top. So my uncle and I sat down in between the two. I can't remember. We looked up and he told me the story about this guy who typed across the towers. It was Philippe Petit. And I was like, uh, I never heard this story before. And then Man on Wire came out and it blew my mind. Man on Wire is one of the best documentaries of all time. Oh um, but then I got to meet Philippe Petit for, for with a walk and he, he still has the thing that he used. I held it. Like I held the That's thing that cool. he used as awesome. he, it was so, That's it was, really it was cool. surreal. It was so cool. To, like, But could you, I mean, seriously, imagine doing that like it was it's no. so mind-blowing and not and I, falling to your death not I think like, Z- how does he not fall but i think zemeck has captured it so well I and mean, I, I, I think that's the closest we'll ever get to being up there it's did they so- did they make that more dramatic than it was i mean did they you know there are a couple of moments when you watch that movie where like you think he's gonna fall i, I can't remember in the documentary like he- was he was it fairly perfect and they kind of made it a little bit more dramatic I mean, a little bit. He laid down on the wire yeah. in the middle of it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, like, dude, sat dude. and then laid down. Just like you just said that. Like my, I just well, got like that weird feeling again. Dude, just, like, thinking you about... and rats is me and heights. And even just talking about this, my yeah. palms are sweating. Like I can't yeah. do. I can't do that. I so, just got um, that weird stomach turning just thinking about him laying down on that wire. Yeah. Um, listeners who played along with Zemeckis Blend, they also went Back to the Future. Clear winner. Um, who framed Roger Rabbit close second? Um, but so many of his movies got mentioned. Forrest Gump got mentioned a bunch, as we said. Juan mentioned. Uh, uh, mentioned contact and then um, who was uh, it was Andy Erickson commented on Facebook on the live feed today that he hoped that I watched rewatched uh, Gump to prepare well Andy I didn't and I and I won't <laughs> because I don't want to waste my time next hey, Sean, week's homework yes sir do you remember the scene in Back to the Future though where like like Doc and Marty are having like <laughs> no. this Oh, I, I quit. <laughs> I quit this freaking podcast. I'm done. They're talking about the stone. It's a stone. Right. I can't do it anymore. <laughs> disgusting the stone. But here's right. why it's beautiful. It's because it's called Back to the Future. Snatch right. hadn't even been made yet. Amazing. But they, they still referenced it. That's right. how deep that cut was. Back right. to the Future came out decades before Snatch. <laughs> And they still had a snatch reference <laughs> in the movie. I mean, it's brilliant. Like it's you joke, <laughs> but that's more likely than the snatch reference being in Infinity. No, right. it's not. I'm telling Next you. Next week's homework. Get the writers on the phone. If I'm wrong, I'm going to be very upset. I'm going to be very. I'm upset afraid I... next week's homework is going to be too easy for Kevin. But we are going to play hashtag Schwarzenegger blend. Oh. Oh. I want to discuss the films of Arnie next week. Um, again, because I just feel like we're in a summer movie stretch, and uh, I think that we can make a debate that it's not T two. Um, I don't think That's it's T two anyway. So, um, so Kevin's gonna have a good time with that one. Okay. So. so wait, can just because I'd argue Schwarzenegger is on the tougher uh, end of spelling things, can we make it like Chopper Blend? Like get to the Ooh. Chopper Blend. 
How about Arnold Blend? Schwarze- Arnold Schwarzenegger Blend. Blend might be tough. Arnold That's Blend. That's a long Blend. one. Arnold, Arnold Blend? Blend. Yeah. Arnold Blend. All right. We'll do hashtag Arnold Blend. So if you're playing along at home, make sure you use that. Um, Jake's doing Batman sure and Robin. That. We all know that. Stay cool. Everyone, chill. Chill. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Where can listeners find you on social media, Jake Hamilton? Uh, at Jake's Takes. Okay. Kevin? Sean, uh, no, 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 I'm being serious. (laughs) To add to Schwarzenegger um, next week, can we also ask for his best one-liner? Because I think that... Oh, that's a good one. I think we should do his best movie and also his best one-liner. And we're talking... We're talking... No, not best movie, best performance. Best performance. Yes, best but performance. Then, and then, and that, then and that best really, one-liner. That could really make I things like very interesting. That's a because, good one. Because, like, the, the, the one-liners in Commando, I mean, they're, I can... I can quote I'm going to rewatch Commando, Commando just for the one-liners. is the best. That's awesome steam. No, no. When he says, <laughs> when, he, when he breaks the guy's neck, and then he puts his hat over him and calls a stewardess over, and he politely says, don't disturb my friend, he's dead tired, and the guy's literally dead... I mean, like, think about the, the sheer <laughs> incredible nature of that line. Like, I mean, he just killed you a guy. You think when the guy wrote that, whoever wrote that, you think he was, do you imagine him sitting at his desk and he writes it and just shakes his, hand, his head and goes, oh, classic. But the <laughs> like, you think he, like, went for a walk after that? You like, you, like, he, like, went outside, had a cigarette, and he's like, honey, you'll never believe Pack the bags, we're moving into a mansion. I have struck gold. But if you, if you think about that, like, he's literally telling the stewards, this guy's dead. He's and dead. And she, she thinks he's just tired. Dude, I mean, it's and a, it's a laugh line. It's, it's a laugh line a in the movie. I just I killed mean, this guy. I think, can, can we I'm just do a podcast where Kevin walks us through and ex- over explains <laughs> every Schwarzenegger line as if we don't get it? Man. All right. Uh, drop See, us a review You on have iTunes. to get to the chopper because there's a chopper there <laughs> that you have to get to. Oh. Oh, he, he says the guy he'll be back and he says, because, he's because he back. will in fact be back. He says he's those, come back. The, those aren't as punny as the ones I'm referring to. Like, the, like, the, like in yeah. Predator, when he stabs a guy into the into the tree and says, "Stick around," I mean, like he's joking about murdering somebody, and it's like, and it's yes. funny, but it, it's actually genius. And let nobody off some else steam, can... Bennett. He throws yeah. a pipe so far through the guy that steam comes through. Because, him. because I, I think, like, we'll get into Schwarzenegger next week. But Schwarzenegger came around at a time where Ugh. those were okay. You cannot write those into a movie today because those anymore, those no. sort of movies that Schwarzenegger made do not exist, and they cannot right. exist anymore. Which well, is also what? why I think Schwarzenegger is having a hard time coming back into sure. the movie business because those those movies are are done. Okay, next week, next week, next week. With that, we're done. Thank you very much for tuning into the live feed. As you can see, this could go for another hour if we wanted it to. Uh, we'll be back next week. Tune us in on the Facebook page. Go to iTunes, Spotify, uh, all those other places to catch us. Leave us a review. If you leave us a review and put your name on it, we may read it at the top of next week's show. So until then. If it's a good review. If it's a bad if review. It's a good one. Well, yeah, you that's suck. true. No, I want to read bad. No, I don't want to read bad ones. Never mind. Jake's right. Only good ones. Uh, we'll talk to you guys next week. Thanks so Where much. Where is the stone? Dunkirk. Oh, God. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger. For the ones who get it done.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.